Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is episode 296 of Jumble Think. T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Welcome to Jumble Think, where we interview dreamers, makers, innovators, and influencers all about their journey of turning dreams and ideas into reality. Along the way, we're going to share some tips on how you can turn your own dreams and ideas into reality, too. Our guest on today's show is Natalie Coghlan. More about Natalie in a moment. Whether you're a new listener or a longtime fan, if you've never subscribed to JumbleThink, you should do it right now, and it's easy to do. For those people who like Apple Podcasts, JumbleThink.com slash Apple Podcasts. And for Spotify, JumbleThink.com slash Spotify. And of course, you can find us on other places like Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and Google Play. Now let's jump into today's conversation with Natalie Coglin. Hey there, welcome to Jumble Think. My name is Michael Woodward. I am your host, and we have a killer conversation with Natalie Coglin coming at you in a moment. Before we dive into that, I know there's probably some of you listening that this may be the first episode you've caught. And we're four seasons, 396 episodes into Jumble Think. We've talked to a lot of crazy people, and we've really stepped up the game season four with bringing on some incredible guests. You may have missed our conversation with LeVar Burton. Of course, you know him from Reading Rainbow and Star Trek and and beyond. You may have missed our conversation with Buster Benson, a very important conversation for where we are in society, talking about productive disagreement. Super cool conversation. Over the last couple of weeks, we have talked to a lot of really cool people about many different topics. So if you're new to the show or you've missed JumboThink for a while, you really should go back and check that out. Really great conversations. We have a really cool conversation lined up for you today with Natalie Coughlin. If you are like me, you probably love the Olympics. Whether it's Winter Olympics or Summer Olympics, you love it all. And I know we're just entering the world of winter here in the the Northern Hemisphere, but the Summer Olympics are coming in 2020 to Tokyo. Super excited about that. Our guest today is not a stranger to the Olympics. She competed in the 2004 Athens Olympics, the 2008 Beijing Olympics, the 2012 London Olympics. She has won 12 Olympic medals, including three golds, four silvers, and five bronze. Not only that, but she is one of the few Olympians that have won back-to-back gold in two Olympics for a specific event. She is also the first woman to ever swim the 100-meter backstroke in under a minute. Beyond that, she has won 60 medals in major international competition, 25 gold, 22 silver, 13 bronze, from the Olympics to the World and Pan-Pacific Championships to the Pan-American Games. Not only is she a an amazing Olympian, but she also was on Dancing with the Stars in Season 9 back in 2009. Now she's doing some really cool stuff. She's released a new book called Cook to Thrive, Recipes to Fuel Body and Soul, And she also started a new wine company with her friend, Shayna Harding. We're going to talk about a lot of this stuff. It is a killer conversation. So let's go ahead and jump into our conversation with today's guest, Natalie Coughlin. 
Natalie, thanks so much for being on JumbleThink. Thanks for having me. I am really excited about this show and this interview because I I love the Olympics. You have been in so many Olympics, three of them, and you do it at such a high level. And I can remember watching the Olympics and seeing you just jet out in front of people. So it's exciting to have you on and hear more of your story because there's so much that you are doing in the world of food, in the world of uh, getting back into competitive swimming and so much more. So super excited to have you on. No, thank you. I really appreciate it. Now, most people are probably going to recognize your name, but a lot of people aren't going to know that you are on some new adventures. Tell us a little bit about your passion for food and your passion for for wine and how that all started. Yeah, so um, I born and raised in Northern California, just outside of Napa Valley. Um, and uh, so the wine passion really started from my parents. Um they were really into wine, and back in the day when we were little, they used to go wine tasting, and my sister and I would run around in the vineyards. And so <laughs> I was aware of it when I was a kid. And then as I got older and you know legally able to drink, um, I wanted to learn more about this love that so many people around me loved. Um, and it goes hand in hand with my love of food. You know, um, mm. you're supposed to drink wine with food. And yeah. uh, throughout my time at Berkeley, the way that I decompressed after a very long day of training was always getting in the kitchen and cooking. Wow. And so those passions really developed uh, along the way. And um, they, they kind of went side by side with one another. Um, and you know, fast forward many, many years now, I'm, I own, uh, co-own a winery <laughs> in, uh, based in Napa Valley and I wrote a cookbook. So, um, I've definitely evolved quite a bit from those early days. I had lived in Northern California for 13 years. Most of my adult life actually lived up in Chico and Orville and that area. I would love and always was excited when I got to go down to Napa and spend a couple of days hitting some incredible wineries. And there is such an incredible culture of food and healthy food and wine and the pairing of those together well. I, I can understand growing up as a child how seeing that and seeing that culture would impact you. It also must have impacted what you do to train when it comes to the food that you're eating and your book specifically the book is Cook to Thrive, Recipes to Fuel Body and Soul. It, it seems like uh, I've looked through the recipes and it seems like it has that healthy edge, but it, it looks like there's a lot of flavor there too. Definitely. Um, when I was pitching a book, it was after the 2016, um, at the end of 2016, I was going around to various publishers and they, a lot of the publishers wanted like just straight up healthy, 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 um, you know, what they imagine an Olympic athlete would, would eat. Um, so nothing but the health, what they perceive to be healthy. Um, and that wasn't the book I wanted to write. I wanted to write something that had a lot of healthy recipes, but also some com comfort food and mm. everything in between, because, um, that's how I've always eaten. Um, you make choices and, <laughs> and you balance those choices. Um, I, have always been someone with the psychology that I can't do an all or nothing. Yeah. So, um, you know, I can't say I'm not going to have, uh, a glass of wine or I'm not going to have any butter or I'm not going to have this or that. Cause all that, all that does is makes me obsessed with whatever I'm trying to deprive myself of. 
Um, so the psychology, um, which by the way, I, I majored in, in, in college, yes. <laughs> so that's why I'm so, so interested in it. Um, the psychology of, of the cookbook is really about focusing on the things that you want to incorporate in your diet and then balance everywhere else. So I talk about that in the first chapter or so, um, that my approach was always, you know, make sure I get tons of vegetables, mm. uh, and leafy greens and quality proteins and whole grains. And then from there, just eat what I crave and listen to my body. I, I know that from talking to nutritionists over the years, they say it's not about making perfect decisions. It's about making good decisions. And I love that you're approaching it from that standpoint of there are things you're going to crave and you're just going to eat and you just have to deal with it. But there's a way to balance that with the other choices that you make and having that that holistic view of saying there are things you're just going to want to eat and you, you're going to do it. So figure out how to balance that. You go a step further, though, because I've seen on your Insta feeds and, and Twitter, you have like a crazy garden and you mm-hmm. really take time to know what's going into the food that you're growing. And I know that you had to overcome some pest problems and, and building. <laughs> still do. <laughs> still do. Uh, tell us about why you are going that extra level. You're, you're really a busy person. Why would you take the time to grow your own food? Well, uh, there are many answers to that question. The first is you could get such great quality out of your backyard. um, Mm -hmm. And there are things that you could only eat if you grow it yourself. um, Things that are too delicate to ever buy in a grocery store. Um, Forgive my French, but like fraise du bois, like I I never studied French. So those (laughs) French speakers, please, like my accent's horrible. But those beautiful little strawberries that are so floral and delicate you can't get that at a store the only way to get them is to grow them um right now it's the beginning of december and my pineapple guava tree is just going nuts and i've never seen pineapple guava in a grocery store even the highest end ones or even the farmers markets so there are certain things that um you could only get if you grow them yourself and i'm so spoiled i'm in northern california where things grow very very easily um, you mentioned I, I deal with pest problems. Yes, uh, we have we have you know gophers and rats and deers and raccoons and turkeys and everything that I compete with, <laughs> and that's it's it's a lot like Caddyshack sometimes. But um, but yeah, like it's something that it provides wonderful flavor and ver- uh, variations in in how I eat, especially seasonally, um, and then. Uh, it just, there's something really good about getting your hands in the soil. Um, like I know there have been studies, um, I wish I could quote one, um, but I can't, uh, but, but that essentially you get a euphoric feeling from getting your hands in the soil. Um, there are all sorts of wonderful benefits for the, the mind and the body about interacting with your environment. Now you are, uh, 2016, 17, 18, you also started this partnership with a wine that you are producing. Tell us about that. Correct. Um, so in, it was in 2017. Um, one of my good friends, uh, Shana Harding, she uh, is a winemaker. She is the winemaker at Honeycut, which mm-hmm. is a custom crush facility in St. Helena. Um, I, I have always been such a admirer of hers because 
she decided um, in her mid twenties that she was really into wine and she went back to school, redid her undergrad um, and went to UC Davis and viticulture and enology and one of the best um, programs the, for that in the world. Oh, in the world. Yeah. And all the while working her way up through uh, various uh, wineries and crazy talented. And I always told her how um, much I admired how much she accomplished in such a short amount of time. And so in 2017, she knew that I wasn't swimming and I had some extra time on my hands and that I was into wine and she just texted me and asked if I wanted to partner with her on a new label. And I immediately said yes, without even knowing what that meant. Um, and then Guderian was born. Um, and Guderian is the name of our winery. It's just the two of us. Um, it means to gather in old English. Um, and we thought that was a perfect name for wine because you gather with friends, you gather around a table um, you know, and I love that. Um, so we started it in 2017 and it's grown to, I think it's 500 cases oh, this wow. year, okay. uh, in 2019. So it, it's, it's small. It, it, it's definitely a small boutique winery, but we have a full profile now, um, of, you know, our two flagship wines are Chen Blanc and Pinot Noir. And then we also have, um, a rosé of Pinot Noir, uh, a Chardonnay, and we just added a Cabernet Sauvignon this year. Oh, well, I hadn't heard about the Cab uh, as I researched. I, I'm actually a big fan of Rosé Pinots. Uh, it's one of the things that I think people shy away from, but it is mm-hmm. a killer wine when you, when it's right. It's, and, and ours, like not to <laughs> blow smoke <laughs> of my own, <laughs> but it, it's perfect. It's really good. Shana is such a talented uh, winemaker. And it was really perfect. And it sold out almost immediately. But we only made 25 cases in 2018. So um, our 2019 will be, um, we'll double that. We'll do about 50 cases. Now, I know when I lived in California, the wildfires were happening. The last couple of years, it's gotten yes. even worse. I, I, I lived right outside of Paradise where the, the crazy fire happened last year. This year, it seemed like with the power outages and happening right at harvest time and on top of that, just the uncertainty of everything going on in Napa and Sonoma, how is that impacting what you're doing with the wines? You know, it's scary at times, but you kind of just go full speed ahead and focus on the things that you could control. Um, what, so Gadarian, we actually produced out of Honeycutt where Shana works full time. Um, and we were out of power at Honeycutt for nine days. Um, so we're working off of a generator, um, and (laughs) just, uh, you know, jerry rigging everything and just being, um, very scrappy (laughs) and, uh, we were able to make it work and, you know, Shana and her team up there, they do an amazing job, but, yeah, it's, it's definitely a stressor. And this year with, there were several times without power and, um, it was an annoyance, but you know, you, you look back on the previous years that, you know, you don't want a wildfire. Um, but it's just this, this weird thing of not knowing when you're going to have power, when it's going to come back. Um, and so it's, it's been an interesting few years and definitely an interesting time to, to start <laughs> to enter the wine business. 
you mentioned that Shana is a friend. I wonder, would you have gotten into wine if it wasn't for her? And when we say get involved, you're actually going out there and being a part of the harvest. I've seen pictures where you're actually picking and pooling and processing the the grapes. So it's not like a partnership like, hey, I'm going to back this. You should go do this. And I'm just going to be along for the ride. You're actually really involved. So would you have gotten into the space if it wasn't for her? I wouldn't have. Um, it would have been a pipe dream for you know my entire life, but I probably would have never followed through um, because I know I I just never even considered actually having my own winery um, other than oh my god that would be so cool, <laughs> but not knowing the path you know. Um, but but that is the funny thing when people hear that I have a winery, I think they assume that I'm just a celebrity endorser, um, which is not the case at all. (laughs) Um, at all. Like I, like you said, I am out there doing brick samples during harvest. Um, or as we approach harvest, I, the first year we were having, um, issues with getting a driver. I actually picked up and delivered the grapes myself. Um, that year we were, um, that was that first year our Chenin Blanc was coming from Clarksburg. So being that you're from Northern California, I drove out to Clarksburg, um, and drove through those mountains, you know, where Berryessa is to St. Helena, all in with, with, you know, the two tons of (laughs) Shannon Blanc in the back, terrified that I was going to get in a car wreck because the blind spots when you have so much fruit in your, in, uh, in tow is, um, crazy. Uh, so yeah, I'm very, very hands on, um, you know, I was out there last year, eight and a half months pregnant, um, helping with harvest. <laughs> Which, <laughs> so. There is a picture on Instagram of you doing that. And it's like, oh, yeah, she's really pregnant. It's not like, <laughs> oh, she's like first trimester. You were, you were, you were no. showing pregnancy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I te- technically I was probably nine months pregnant because, um, I gave birth to my daughter, um, mid October. So I was probably like 38 weeks or so. <laughs> Uh, and having two kids and, and knowing what my wife went through by proximity, not, you know, (laughs) I I can't imagine what that was like for you. (laughs) Your your belly gets in the way. Um, I, at that point I was just running into things with this big old belly, um, that I wasn't quite used to having. (laughs) I, I know that we've talked about the cookbook. I know we've talked about the wine. There are going to be people listening, I want them to know right away how they can find and connect with that. So what are the best ways to connect with the book and with the winery? Yeah. So everything, um, I don't do a great job of keeping up nataliecoglin.com, but it's all there. Um, but it, like the links to my wine, the links to my cookbook are all there. Um, I just haven't updated like the in the news section in probably five years or so. Um, Cause once again, I run that myself. I'm very uh, like, I'm a very hands-on type a um, borderline control freak. So um, I do a lot on my, uh, myself. <laughs> Before we wrap up this segment, we always ask a few questions and, and I want to make sure we hit these. The first question being, how are you finding purpose in what you do? And and let me quantify that. You do so much. You are an Olympic swimmer. You have the winery. You have the cookbook. You are a mother. You are a wife. You are involved in, in many different aspects of what you're doing. How are you finding purpose in all of that? 
Man, that is such a tough question. And especially um, for me right now, I feel like I'm still in this transitional phase of, you know, I'm not, I'm not a professional athlete 100% of the time. I'm not training for the next Olympics. Um, I don't have a coach telling me what to do. Uh, in, in that phase of my career, it was so easy because you have the season uh, laid out for you. You knew which competitions were coming up. You knew what your practice schedule was like. You knew um, a basic outline of each practice, uh, what that would look like. So it was pretty easy to have purpose because there was so much structure. Um, now that I'm a business owner, I'm still competing a little bit uh, through the ISL. Um, I'm a mother. Uh, it, it, it's hard. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's really hard to, to balance all those, um, you know, to, to wear all those different hats. Um, but for the most part, I just try and focus on what I'm doing at the time, uh, which is hard. Uh, it, it, that's very, very difficult because I, I have so many things that are seemingly unrelated. Um, but I've always found in my life that if I focus on the present and the task at hand, I'm the most efficient. So, um, if I am working on the wine stuff, I am focused only on the wine stuff. Um, and that allows me to finish whatever task I'm working on as efficiently and quickly as possible so that I can move on to the next thing. Okay. You you have experience at focus. I mean, that's part of training. Mm -hmm. That's part of regiment. I know for many of us who are bouncing uh, between things, like for me, I'm I'm a father, I have two little girls, I am a husband, I have a business, we're running this show, we are, I'm doing a lot. And for me, I sometimes struggle with, this is the thing I'm focused on, but I'm thinking about 10 other things. How do you keep that focus when there is so much pulling at you in different directions? It is so tough. Like it it is so tough. And I think, um, the way that society is structured now, it really hindered, like it, it adds like another level of difficulty with us always having our phones there. So you get a million emails throughout the day. (laughs) Um, it's impossible not to look at them (laughs) and get distracted. It's really, really tough. Um, really tough, but I go back to, um, really my days of swimming, uh, and you, it it forced me to be highly focused on what I'm doing. Um, for me to have been successful in the pool, I had to be so highly focused for hours on end and just focus on every, everything that my body was doing Mm -hmm. from, you know, the tip of my head to the tip of my toes and everything in between, between. And, um, I look at how popular like yoga is for a lot of people. And what a lot of people struggle with is the ability to be present. Um, and, and you see that if you go to, um, a yoga class, sometimes people will get the workout in, but they cannot sit still for the five minutes of Shavasana at the end. Like yeah. God forbid, they just lay there and be <laughs> present. And, <laughs> and it, it's funny because that, that shouldn't be as difficult as it is, but it's, it's hard for everybody. And, and I think from my years of training, it focused or it forced me to, um, really work with that and struggle with that and improve. Um, and so I just 
been able to improve my ability to be present through um, being forced into it. (laughs) It is the long way to say that. What is one challenge you're currently working to overcome? Um, the balance in, in, in everything, like I said before, when it was, everything revolved around swimming and that was my number one priority. Um, it was pretty easy to figure out, um, how everything else fell in line. Now, obviously my daughter is my number one priority and, um, she's changing every day. You know, she's, uh, (laughs) 13 months and, you know, her as a 13 month old is completely different than what she was at 11 months old. And, you know, before you have kids, you roll your eyes when you hear someone say, Oh my, I have a 14 month old. You're like, just say one, but (laughs) it does. I mean, you have two kids, you see a huge difference. Um, and once you get into a routine, uh, they switch it up on you and you have to go with the flow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. So I, um, I struggle with that because I am, like I said, I'm a type A person and, um, you know, I'm trying to set up my house where it's nice and clean and that's just, that doesn't happen. <laughs> with do kids. I have to give up that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, I, I just ordered the Montessori for, for toddlers book, oh, yeah. um, last night. Um, so hopefully I'll learn some tricks there, but, um, it's, it's tough. It's really tough. You are, accomplished in so much. We're about the same age. You're 37. I'm, I'm right around, I'm on 38. Uh, so I understand what it's like to have so much of your life behind you and yet so much of it ahead of you and you've accomplished much, but you seem like a person that has big dreams, big ideas, big goals that you want to accomplish. What is that next big goal, that next big dream, maybe that next big idea that you're working on? There is a lot. Um, I mean, my partner and I, Shana, for our wine, we decided that we are, we, we set the goal that we want to grow tenfold in 10 years, um, which is quite a bit. Uh, and so we have kind of laid out a path to how to do that and how to grow steadily every year, but not too quickly. Um, I, I, you know, we've seen that with other wineries where they just grow too quickly and then um, they fail. Um, so we're doing that very strategically. Um, so that's, that's one thing. Um, I've been working on some tech actually with, um, uh, yeah, to improve, uh, swimming. Uh, so I work at, uh, this company called Aspirix. Um, (laughs) that's just one of the many hats I wear. Um, (laughs) And, uh, yeah, now that I have my daughter, I, I work remotely, um, most of the time. But, um, when I was pregnant with her, I was going into the office, um, every other day or so. Um, but that is to use technology to improve swimming. And what I've learned with technology and, um, that industry is you constantly are pivoting, you know, uh, you, you start, you start with one product and then you pivot to the next product. And, um, that's been really interesting and hopefully that'll help improve swimming and, uh, for competitive swimming, but also just the fitness swimmer, you know, uh, swimming, you know, as I sit here doing this podcast, I'm on a pool deck and um, (laughs) I'm looking at all the fitness swimmers in the pool 
And sometimes people have a really great idea of what they want to do when they get in the water. And sometimes they have no idea and the, the pool could be a very intimidating place. And so um, hopefully make it more accessible to everybody. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we are going to talk a little bit more about Natalie's career and, and much more about what she's building now. We'll be right back. Twenty nineteen has been a crazy year, from amazing guests to being part of really cool events like Podcast Row, Propelify, Podmax, and New Media Summit. It has been incredible. And twenty twenty is going to be an even wilder ride. We're working hard to bring you more incredible guests, launching some new events, and being part of some really cool things like Story Expo and Sound Education. And I don't want you to miss a thing. So how do you stay in touch? Well, the best way is to head on over to jumblethink.com and join our email newsletter. Or why don't we be friends on your favorite social media channel like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn? We can't wait to share all the exciting things in store for JumbleThink and for you in 2020. So let's connect, dream big together, and let's change the world. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Now let's jump back into today's conversation with Natalie Coughlin. We are back with Natalie. All right. You are doing a lot now, but there's a lot to your story that we haven't covered. I want to kick off. We're going to talk about swimming, but we're going to start at the end, which is where you're at now. Mm -hmm. Back in 2016, you had gone to trials for the Rio Olympics. It didn't work out. And then you kind of disappeared from the swimming space. Can you talk to us a little bit about what happened there and and that process of transitioning out of a, a season of life that had been mo- probably 99% of your 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 life into a, a new season and and why you made that choice instead of going in and saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to try to take another stab at this? Yeah, well, I mean, there's the age factor that is undeniable. Um, you know, at some point I would have to retire. Um, I, I look back at my 
experience in 2016 and it wasn't, I'm, I'm not saying that I was too old to do well that year. I, I, I think I made some mistakes in, um, recovery. Mm. I could have, I could have been a little bit smarter about my recovery and even, you know, having been a swimmer for a professional swimmer for so long, um, it, you have to constantly learn and evolve. And if I wasn't, um, let me think 34, I think at the time, um, I probably would have made another stab at it another four years. Um, and that's, that's really how summers tend to think as in quadrenniums, you know, every four years, 2016 didn't go as well as I would have liked. Um, you know, 2015, I was right on my best times. I had some personal bests. Uh, I was in great shape and it's difficult to really pinpoint what happened between that, you know, those 11 months <laughs> of <laughs> August, September of 2015 to July of uh, 2016. But, um, that's kind of the beauty and the, the painful thing about sports is you don't, always know. Um, but you just continually strive to be better. Um, so anyway, uh, I didn't make that Olympic team and I very consciously decided that I'm not going to retire. Um, I, and for those that don't know in Olympic sports, uh, when people say they're going to retire, you fill out some forms and you do that for a lot of reasons. Um, one of them being drug testing because we get tested constantly, yeah. <laughs> like constantly from FINA, WADA, USADA. And uh, what you do as an Olympic athlete um, or even just Olympic caliber athlete, you have to provide one hour of every single day and you have to be in the place that you say you're going to be. And um, a drug, drug tester could show up at any time. Um, so that's, you know, we all want to participate in clean sport, but it is an annoyance. So yeah, yeah. most people um, end up uh, signing the retirement papers so that they remove themselves from the drug testing pool. Um, once you do that, if you do want to con- go back into swimming, you have to file some more paperwork and you have a nine month waiting pe- period um, of when you'll be tested, but you can't compete yet. Oh, wow. So that's a really long answer to saying I didn't want to retire because I wanted to leave the door open to competing. I, I love swimming. I knew at that point I, um, had my fill of the world championships and the Olympics. Um, I, and if I look back at it, what I loved and still love is the daily struggle. I loved being mm. with my teammates and my coaches uh, working hard towards a goal, um, the physical pain of training. Like I miss being so incredibly sore at times, which is, you know, so masochistic, <laughs> but, um, I, I love that. And, um, I, I miss that. But when I was honest with myself, I realized I didn't miss, uh, competing at the Olympic games, uh, so much, you know, I, I get nostalgic when I watch, uh, my, my former teammates compete. Um, and as we're entering, uh, into 2020 Tokyo, I get nostalgic for it, but yeah, there is so much pressure when you're an Olympian, um, it, at that stage. Um, it, it's, it's crazy. And I am so grateful for my three Olympics, but 
I don't have that desire to compete at that level again. All that being said, I still love swimming and I still love getting, getting in the pool and training hard. And, um, I, I decided to participate in the ISL this year, which is the international swim league. And it, um, it's this new professional league. Uh, there's four, uh, American teams and four European teams. And I'm on the DC Trident. And, um, I decided to compete with them because the GM of DC Trident, Caitlin Sandino asked me if I would participate <laughs> and I molded over for a few days. Uh, your initial I, answer I was a, a hard no, was right? no, it was yeah. a hard no. Yeah. It was a hard no. <laughs> <laughs> I thought she was kidding because I hadn't swum in three years and wow. just had a baby and, um, I, I, it was a hard no. Uh, and then she's like, it's, it's just for 50 back and be fun. You know, you could do all these great things, see some old friends and, uh, you know, she pulled me back in and it was, I was so grateful that she did because I had a great time doing it. Um, I, uh, it gave me purpose when I you know, went to the gym, it gave me, um, a focus instead of, uh, jumping from one class to the other, one machine to another, I uh, resumed the type of training that I did uh, in previous years. And it was so much fun. I, I was really grateful to participate in that. Are you going to be coming back for the next season? I don't know. Um, I, I, again, like I very rarely say no to anything. <laughs> <laughs> the door is open. <laughs> which is kind of, yeah, which is kind of my problem. I say yes to way too much. Um, but, uh, it, it's, it's always been a, it always ends up being a good thing for me so far, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know Hopefully I will be involved in some way. I think it's great for the sport of swimming. Um, it, about, I think 75% of the Rio medalists were participating oh, in the ISL. Cool. So it's very, very high level competition. Um, it's, it's not just people like me. Um, and actually I'm, I'm the minority. It's, it's the people who we will see win gold medals and break world records, um, in Tokyo, uh, next year. Um, Katie, so uh, it, Ledecky is a part of it. So yep, there's some real team. big names. Yeah. yeah. Really, really big names, yeah. uh, involved. And, uh, it's really cool because we don't get to see the American summers race against the best in Europe that often, um, outside of an Olympic games or world championships. Um, so it, it's fun for the athletes. Uh, I think it elevates the competitions in between the, the big ones, you know, the Olympics and the, the world championships. And it's also really fun for spectators. Um, and I, I think there is a demand for that in some way. Um, it's really, really popular in Europe. The the two competitions that I went to domestically, um, it, I went to Indianapolis and then also in uh, D.C. Um, they were huge crowds, really into it, had a blast watching uh, various teams compete. And um, so I think there's a market for it. Uh, so, you know, there's talk of it expanding next year, but nothing, I think, is set in stone. One of the things you said about it, which I found fascinating, and I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into it, was that you mentioned ISL is very different than a world championship of any kind or an Olympics because you're not racing for times. You're, 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 you're racing for teams instead mm -hmm. of just times. Correct. So talk to us a Correct. little bit about the difference of that approach 
Uh, and and when you go into these kind of events, whether it's ISL, whether it's the Olympics, whether it's a uh, championship of some sort, uh, how who are you? Are you competing against yourself? Or are you competing against others? Like, how is your mindset about that, and how has it changed with the ISL? Yeah, swimming is a really unique sport in that it is an individual sport where you're a part of a team. So when you go to the Olympic Games, um, you are part of Team USA, and you're definitely you have that pride of you know you're wearing the flag and you want to get more gold medals than anybody else. You want to uh, do well in the relays, but you're but it's you know, you're, you're focused on everything that you could control. You were training probably by yourself or maybe a couple other teammates on the, on the Olympic team you trained with. Uh, it's, it's an individual sport that you come together at the Olympic games or at world championships, if that makes sense. Um, when, if you go back to like college swimming or the ISL, you're, you're just competing for team points. You Mm. don't really care about your times because it's not the end of season. Um, you, you, you do want to swim fast, but it's not, um, it's not something that you generally have shaved and tapered for and have worked towards the entire year. So if it's that mid season competition, it's really just about racing, getting your hand on the wall first, competing for your team. And I know when they were, um, pitching that, the idea of the ISL, um, at first they thought of not even having a scoreboard, uh, oh, not wow. even having time, times displayed. That was one of the ideas that they thought about, which I think would have been really interesting. Um, but I, I think most swimmers are, are like me and they need that feedback <laughs> 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 and we, we, we need to know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so it, it's the ISL is about competing for your team. Whereas the Olympic games, it's competing for your country, but also it's that, the end of that four year cycle or that, you know, that lead up. And so that will live, um, if that those races end up living forever in your memory <laughs> of good or bad. <laughs> Whereas like those mid season ones, you could kind of throw away. You yeah. Know? You not only have won a lot, 60 medals in major international competition, 25 gold, 22 silver, 13 bronze, 12 Olympic medals. You've won a lot, but you've also broken crazy cool records. One of them being the first woman to swim uh, the 100 meter backstroke in under, no, that's not the right one. Yeah, 100 meter backstroke in under one minute. And then you went on to do it four more times and break that record, uh, your own record several times more. Talk to us a little bit about seeing a barrier that wasn't expected to be broken and then breaking it and then setting a new floor level for others to build upon that. I set the goal of being the first one to go under a minute and hundred backstroke, probably back in the late nineties, maybe 1998, 1999 really started thinking about that, that that was a possibility that I could do that and kind of set that as, as my goal. And I didn't end up accomplishing that until 2002, which doesn't sound like that long, but when you look at it as a 16, 17, 18, 19 year old, it's an eternity. (laughs) Um, 
And yeah, there was this record by a Chinese swimmer. It was one minute point sixteen. And there were some questions about her record, right? Definitely. It was during um, one of the teams where many of those Chinese swimmers uh, later tested positive for performance enhancing drugs. And I believe she did as well. But honestly, I cannot even remember at this point. (laughs) But I knew there I knew there was kind of an asterisk about that record. Um, But regardless, it was the the world record. Yeah. Um, So it was one minute point 16 and I had been one minute point 18, one minute point 20, <laughs> one minute point 22. I had been so close so many times. And when you really think, think about it, um, like how, how do you swim almost to the exact hundredth of a second, the same time, dozens of times, it's insane. Like it's yeah. absolutely insane. It still boggles my mind of, Like, how are we so consistent? Um. (laughs) Well, and and what's interesting about that is watching different swimming competitions, both for men's and women's over the years, they talk about the difference that elevation can play into it, which that does for running. Uh, Talked about different swimming pools being fast swimming pools versus slow swimming pools for the speed. So being consistent isn't just being consistent in like the exact same environment it's being consistent across multiple different venues and locations yeah it's it's crazy so like it still boggles my mind that it's like how many times have i been right there it's crazy (laughs) but anyway um so i had been right on that bubble for so many years and um i'll never forget the first time that i broke that record um it was at 2002 fort lauderdale uh nationals and the outdoor pool, really, really shallow um, dive dive end. I think I think they have since rebuilt that pool. Um, yeah, they just were rebuilding it in 2019. Yeah, so yeah. it was maybe four and a half feet, five feet deep. I definitely could stand up at the dive end. <laughs> and back then, my start was really deep, and I, I made it a little bit more shallow as as I got a little older. But at the time, my start was super deep. And I remember having a little difficulty on the start in prelims and um, touching the bottom of the pool. And uh, I just kept telling myself that day, like, today's the day you're going to finally do it. Just, you know, rip the bandage off, like, finally hit, break this record. Like, it's within you. You could do it. And I just kept telling myself this, like, as like a mantra, tonight's the night, tonight's the night, tonight's the night. And we're getting ready to race. And it's Fort Lauderdale, Florida in August, which means thunderstorms. Um, So (laughs) we're getting ready to race and thunderstorms inevitably come in as they do in Florida. Like why we used to have these outdoor meets (laughs) is beyond me. (laughs) Um, But anyway, um, we were in the ready room about to race and then we had to postpone competition for maybe half an hour, maybe an hour. I don't really remember. And I just remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I just want to get this over with, you know, um, and, and not in, in a way like it's not going to be fun. Like I knew it was within me and I wanted to actually execute it and um, finally get a race. And it was definitely cloudy and windy. The, the flags were moving like crazy, but um, I had one of those amazing perfect races where I and it wasn't even perfect I hit the bottom of the pool on the start but I got out way far ahead 
um, the flags at the turn were moving like crazy. And, but I ended up going 59, 56 and, and, and broke that record by over a half second, which in swimming is a lot. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I'll never forget it. Um, you know, back then world records, they were very few and far between. So, you know, the entire crowd is just up on their feet, like going nuts, like absolutely nuts. And that standing ovation lasted for a really, really long time. And it was, it was super special. Then, you know, several years later that, that record remained, um, you know, I was the only one under a minute for a handful of years. I think it was until 2007 when all of a sudden one, one other person broke it and then like 10 people broke it. And now it's not even that big of a deal. Wow. <laughs> um, so it's, it's kind of like the, the four minute mark and running, you know, yeah. um, it, it, like one person breaks it and then just opens the floodgates of, Oh, it can be done and people figure out how to do it. So yeah, I was the first person under a minute, the first person under 59, but now, uh, I think the world record is like 57, something that's crazy um people have just figured out how to get faster and faster with all the success that you've had two questions here the first one being what's the one you look back to and you just you go this was the most special to me whether it was an olympics whether it was that 100 meter backstroke record what was that one moment in your career you just look back to and you go that was the moment it's hard. Like what I'm most proud of is not one moment. It's the consistency throughout the years. Mm. Um, you know, like being able to say that I went to, uh, three Olympics, I competed in 12 events. I medaled in 12 events. Like that's, that's something I'm, that's what I'm the most proud of. If, if I, if you like held my feet to the fire and I had to pick one race, um, I would probably say the Beijing, um, hundred backstroke was the race that I remember the most clearly. Um, and that's because, you know, I had like, like we just talked about, I'd been the world record holder for many years. Um, you know, for six years, very dominant, um, I was the defending gold medalist. Uh, so you always have that target on your back when you're the defending gold medalist and you're the world record holder. And we have prelim semifinals and finals. And in semifinals, uh, this girl, Kirsty Coventry from Zimbabwe, who I had competed against her quite a bit because she, uh, she went to Auburn uh, University around the same time that I was at Cal. So I competed against her in college in semifinals, she broke my world record. And so going into the finals, I was the second seed, uh, just had my world record broken. A lot of people were talking that she's the favorite, and, um, you know, that she was going to win and kind of similar to my 2002 world record experience. I just kept picturing it in my mind, uh, that final being successful. And I was imagining every detail of that, of the last seconds before the start, uh, how it would feel during the race, putting my hand on the wall, how I would feel when I see that the race went successfully for me. And just really as vividly um, as I could imagine that success, I, I just kept replaying it over and over and over again in my head. And just saying that all you have to do is execute, you know, what to do, you know, how to do it. You're capable of it. All you need to do is execute it. And so, um, yeah, I ended up 
winning that race. Um, and I will never forget it. Uh, I, I, and what's interesting is I have always been someone who is not that emotional. Um, I'm very pragmatic and I'm very, I, I don't think cold is the right word, but I, 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 when I am competing, I have a task and I just focus on it and I'm very, um, serious about it. And I would get happy after a lot of races, but it wasn't tears of joy or tears of sadness really ever. Um, and, and so what's interesting about this Beijing, um, experience is I just started crying like crazy on, on the podium. And, um, it it was, and that's, kind of goes back to how much pressure you're under at the Olympic games. And it, it represents those, you know, it's not even 10,000 hours. It's like millions of hours yeah. that you do um, <laughs> of competing. Um, and I remember being on that podium and the two flat American flags are being raised because the bronze medalist was also an American and her name is Margaret Holzer. And she, that was her first individual Olympic medal. So she was to my left and I, looked over to my left and she had a tear rolling down her face. And I remember thinking like, Oh, that's so sweet of her. You know, she's crying. Like you see on TV, sometimes people break down in in tears. And then for whatever reason, she's because of that tear, I remember thinking like, that's so cute. And then I started crying and then it just opened up the floodgate. I started crying because I was crying. And then I had snot coming out of my nose and my face was red. It got all messy. It got so ugly so quickly. (laughs) And by the end, I was just super embarrassed. (laughs) Uh, If I remember correctly, you were bleeding too from your lip. Is that that race? Yep. Yeah, no, well, many. Um, I, I had this stupid habit that I started when I was, God, I probably was nine or 10 years old where my coach at the time, <laughs> he told me, he's like, well, if you bite your lip, if your lip really hurt, how would you ever feel your leg burning? Wow. And, and, and for what, and, you know, being the type a, you know, obeying authority. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's a good idea. And so I, I developed this habit of whenever I would get, um, that lactic acid burn in a race, I would just bite down on my lip and, um, many races throughout college, throughout my Olympic, uh, races, I would bite down to the point of bleeding. Um, and it was something that I wish I didn't do because I think just that act of biting, I think it created some tension in my neck, which then goes down to your shoulders. I think there was like shadows of it in my strokes, but I could not break that habit for the longest time. Um, but I finally did towards the end of my career. <laughs> awesome. We're going to take a break right here. And when we come back, we're going to do rapid fire questions. Later in this week, our guest is Tim Campos. He is the former CIO, that's Chief Information Officer of Facebook. Now he's the CEO of Woven. They are a company helping people really understand productivity in their lives. We talk about working for Mark Zuckerberg. We talk about technology. We talk about how you can be more productive, prevent burnout, and a lot more. It is a super fun conversation, so you're not going to want to miss that episode. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Now let's jump into rapid fire questions with Natalie Coughlin. Levez seulement le bras pour mettre l'aiguille sur le disque. We are back and ready for rapid fire questions. Natalie, are you ready? I'm ready. As a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? A police officer. That was super unexpected. Uh, okay. <laughs> My dad was a cop. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I was a tomboy. <laughs> what is one tip you'd give someone with a big idea or dream and they don't know where to start? God, I have no idea. Research it. <laughs> That's me. Go to Google. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what is one change you'd like to see in the world? Oh, God, one change. Just less distractions. What do you want your legacy to be? Oh, gosh. I have no idea. Um, pass. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you find inspiration? Where do I find inspiration? All around me. You know, I, I there's all around me. What is one book you think every dreamer should read? Ooh, every dreamer. Well, this goes back to my food and wine um, love. Um, Animal Vegetable Miracle. Oh, okay. So inspiring for me and why I got chickens. <laughs> <laughs> you, you actually raise chickens, right? I do. I do. How for you do you design, define success? Uh, if I could have done everything in my ability well and honest and be honest with myself, then that's how I define success. I'm going to throw in a wild card question here. Dancing with the stars versus swimming, which was harder? Oh, swimming. Hands down. (laughs) (laughs) Dancing with the stars is so fun. So fun. And it it was funny because I I kept thinking that I was going to be so nervous for that. And then I realized after the first performance that nothing is as nerve wracking as the Olympic Games. (laughs) Do you regret not going with the easier dance at the Paso Doble? Um, yeah, I, I still regret that, uh, that point that we got knocked off for a lift that didn't exist. I'm I'm still bitter 10 years (laughs) later. (laughs) That's funny. What is one trend you're currently excited about? Ooh, um, minimalism. I love minimalism. There's some great documentaries out there on Netflix and stuff. I have to check it out. Like, but again, with the kids, it's tough. (laughs) I'm trying. I understand that one. (laughs) What is one habit that you find helpful in your life? Uh, my smoothie habit. Smoothie habit, like every yeah, day? Yeah, I have a green smoothie. Yeah, yeah, a green smoothie. Um, it's cumbersome to eat as many vegetables as you probably should eat, so I just blend it together in a green smoothie, and it's easy, <laughs> an easy way to get uh, all those vitamins and minerals. What is one thing you wish you would have known when you first started out? Um, to trust in the process. If you weren't doing what you're doing today, what do you think you'd be doing? I think I would be a physical therapist. What is one dream you're still wanting to fulfill in your own life? Mm, make my wine uh, super successful and much uh, and grow it. <laughs> I'm going to come back to it. What do you want your legacy to be? God, this is so hard. Um, I guess someone who's just very thoughtful in, in what she did and did it well. Uh, that's kind of like the overall generality of 
that's how I approach swimming and hopefully how I'll approach this next chapter. We're, we're about a week out from Christmas. I don't know if you celebrate Christmas or not, but if you are, what are you looking yes. forward to over this Christmas season? I'm really looking forward to seeing my daughter hopefully get more excited about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, she'll be 14 months. So I think she's more interested in the whole, um, like she really enjoyed the tree going up and she likes the stockings. And, you know, last year she was just a little blob of an infant. Um, so it's more exciting to hopefully when she opens up some presents and, you know, just has those traditions with, with our family. My mom has always been so, so good at establishing traditions mm -hmm. every for every holiday. And that's something that I, as a mom, want to emulate. As we wrap up, we always like to have our guests have a final thought. What is your final thought for all of us listening today? Oh, my gosh. Um, this has been cathartic and therapeutic. Uh, so I, I appreciate it. Uh, I I love these long form interviews as a fan. Um, so hopefully, hopefully I didn't uh, drone on too long, but uh, I, 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 I really enjoyed it and I don't need therapy now. <laughs> I, I want to thank you again for being on. There are those people in life that you look at and you go, these are the rock stars of what they've done. Yeah, I think of Michael Phelps and your space and, and definitely you. It is such an honor to have had you on and share just a little bit of your story. So thanks for being on. No, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Once again, we want to thank Natalie for taking time out and being on the show with us today. She is a legend in her space, and now she's created an incredible book and line of wines. You can find links to both of those in the episode notes at jumblethink.com. We also want to thank you for tuning in. It means the world to us that you would listen to our show. And I hope that today's conversation has encouraged you that you can chase those dreams. You can chase those ideas that you have. And the journey might be hard. It may require a lot of commitment from you. But if you stay persistent, if you keep the course, those dreams and ideas can become reality. Now it's your turn. We believe you're created for something awesome. So get out there, dream big, and change the world around you. Mères de famille, les enfants peuvent également prendre un moment revitalisant dans quelques mois lorsque vous aurez bien saisi la technique et que vous serez maître de votre corps, vous pourrez vous décontracter même en travaillant. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 